Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of In Our Tracks, a project for the National Reining Horse Association. Today we are speaking with NRHA professional Ryan Rushing. He's based in Colorado and um, we're really excited to talk to you and learn more about your reining career and, and what you're doing up here in Colorado. Thanks for having me. Welcome to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. We'll honor the legacy makers, movers, and shakers from the reining industry, as well as grassroots competitors and weekend warriors to offer insights from the full spectrum of the reining community. So um, we'll start with our, what we call our large fast, which is just five quick questions to ask you about, you know, your background to give you us a, a little bit more information about you. All right. Um, what is your favorite food to have in the truck when you are hauling to a horse show? Uh, it's not healthy, but I would say gummy bears for sure and sunflower seeds. Well, I mean, those are not the worst things. That you no, can have. <laughs> I'm like, I'm picky about the gummy bears, though. It's got to be the right kind. Oh, okay. So it can't just be any gummy bears. Yeah. But very picky. <laughs> what What do you like to listen to on the road? Are you a podcast guy or yeah, music? I, you know, sometimes I'll listen to music, but anymore, I mostly listen to podcasts and audiobooks. I do a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. Those kind of keep me going. What are your podcast recommendations? What are you listening to? Ooh, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan. Okay. So I like that. Um, Man, beyond that, what have I been listening to lately? I can't even remember. But uh, yeah, a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts. He's a great interviewer. Yeah. And then uh, been doing a lot of audiobooks lately. Those are good. Do you mostly do fiction or nonfiction? What do you listen to? Mostly. So when I'm driving, if I'm doing something else, I like kind of historical nonfiction. But sometimes those get a little bit slow for three in the morning. No <laughs> sleep, trying to stay awake on sunflower seeds. Right. So in that case, I do more fiction, like kind of thriller books and stuff like that. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, what is to date your most memorable accomplishment horseback? Most memorable accomplishment horseback. Um, you know, we were just talking about this was my first year to make the open finals at the Futurity. And I would say to date, that's probably the most memorable. That's that's just a special horse show. And it's it's so it's so tough to make the open finals there. For sure. You, you know, two rounds, you got to be perfect. And it's uh, it's a challenge. So that that would definitely be the most memorable so far. Great. What's your favorite trait in a horse? Favorite trait in a horse? I would say heart and a lot of grit yeah a horse that just wants to try hard and wants to do the right thing and has a lot of guts i tend to i like mares quite a bit personally so i think especially if you get a mare that has a lot of try and a lot of heart then that's that's hard to beat those are my favorite to ride that's fun um what is the most common advice that you give to your non-pros before they go show think slow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everybody gets wound up before they go in the show pen and puts fast forward on. But I always try to tell everybody to think slow, be smooth, and then fast. And uh, think about showing the maneuvers and not the pattern. I oh, think great. if you go in and you think about, oh, I want to run a great pattern, you're not paying attention to the details and you kind of miss the forest for the trees. But if you go maneuver to maneuver and show each one the best that you can, you get a pretty good result typically. That's great advice. 
So Ryan, tell us a little bit about your background with horses. When we were talking earlier, you know, you said you were a vet student and that kind of thing, but where, where did your passion for the horses come from? You know, I've, I mean, I, nobody in my family rides, okay. so it was always, I just loved horses growing up and always wanted to ride. And I, I had friends when I was young that rode and it was always just, it's always something that was out there that I wanted to do, but just never had the opportunity to. And I started riding, um, just taking lessons when I was in middle school and started out in English actually, cause it was basically the only thing I had access to, but I played soccer and did other sports when I was young. And I, I had come up with this whole plan that I discussed with my parents of how horses was going to be less expensive than everything else. I was doing. <laughs> so I'm pretty good at talking my way into stuff sometimes, but I don't think they bought it, but it was, uh, yeah, I started, so I started taking lessons when I was in middle school and I actually started out in dressage, which I'm thankful for now because it just gives you a really great understanding of the mechanics of a horse and how to control their body and right. how your body interacts with them. And um, so I started out doing that and then I did dressage competitively through high school until about my senior year. And then I got kind of bored of that and went to the opposite end of the spectrum and rode saddle bronc. Uh, I was pretty terrible at that. I just got bucked <laughs> off a lot. Basically, there was not a lot of not a lot of eight second rides for that. So I thought, uh, you know, I need to find something in the middle where there's it's a little less exciting, like a little little more exciting than dressage, getting bucked off less than saddle bronc. Yeah. So I got connected with a guy that started Colts, and so I took a actually took a semester off of college. I went to Texas A and M took a semester off of college and I just started two-year-olds with this guy and kind of learned that. And then I, you know, I started two-year-olds and I had some guys that, some friends that ran um, cattle operations near where I went to school. So I worked cattle for them and started Colts. And then my, I guess it would have been my senior year. Um, I was planning on going to vet school. So I had applied, I had an interview scheduled and I had planned on doing that since I was a little kid, but I just, I didn't know much about horse training as a career and didn't know if you could actually make a living at that or what that looked like to do it. And at the time I thought I wanted to go more like the cow horse or cutting into things just cause I was around cattle. But, um, a guy in Austria, that's a non-pro and owns a really nice place over there. I was on the horse judging team at Texas A&M and he knew my coach cause they had gone over there to do horsemanship clinics. So he approached him asking if he knew of anybody that would want to come over for a year and just ride his horses and train and kind of coach, teach lessons. And it wasn't raining specific, but he had, he had rainers, cutters, cow horses, trail horses, pleasure horses. He kind of did everything. And I, at that point had probably never ridden a raining horse. So, uh, he offered the job to me and sent me to North Texas to get basically a two week crash course. <laughs> um, I went up there and I rode with Greg Hall, who's, uh, he still trains, but he's an NRHA judge as well. So I rode with Greg for two weeks and figured that was enough. And then I went to Austria and I spent a year over there. Um, and it was interesting cause I was, I was supposed to be the professional teaching lessons and training. And so I was just making it up as I went hundred <laughs> percent. But if you say things confidently enough, people tend to believe you. So, uh, and then when I was in Austria, a uh, guy over there named Maury Fisk, he was up in Germany. 
so he knew my boss and I rode with him a fair bit and he he really helped kind of get me going in the right direction and then when I came back from Austria I had basically one semester left of school to graduate and at the time Nathan Piper was training near there we had some mutual friends that connected us so I I went out and rode some with Nathan and kind of kept going more in the reigning direction and decided that was more what I wanted to do and then when I graduated um, Nathan he had moved to North Texas so he was up there and he uh, I called him kind of trying to figure out you know how to, how to get into it how do I get a job as an assistant or where do I go from here and he helped me find a job in North Texas so I went to work for Patrice St. Ange for a while and then I went to work for Jordan Larson after that and worked for Jordan until started my business in the beginning of 2015. And is that when you moved here to Colorado in 2015? Or? Nope. Uh, so we had our business and um, started it in 2015. We were there for a year. And uh, then we went up to went up to Roads River Ranch. We were only there for about nine months. Washington was just not the, not the climate for us. We always wanted to go west, but we just overshot a little bit. So <laughs> went too far west, came back east a little bit, ended up in Colorado. Yeah. And so we've been here since... Uh, probably 2017 great yeah so we've been here three years almost four years well what what's different about having your business here versus when you were in the hotbed of ring in north texas um it's a lot different here in colorado yep it is different um so my take on it is that i think it takes a little bit longer to build a business in colorado but i feel like that business is a little bit more steady here right just because my the base of my business is uh, I've got a really good non-pro base. So that's kind of my customer base. When I was in North Texas, it's the advantage is there's so many horses, there's so many trainers. So you can, you know, you could go ride with a different trainer every week and learn. Um, There's lots of opportunities for catch rides. Right. So a lot of, and this was kind of, and we can get to this later, but this was kind of a, uh, steep learning curve for me I feel like in my career is I, I got to catch ride some great horses early in my career so I had some success showing early on because of that because they were you know very well trained very broke horses that you know especially when I was at Jordan's I was all levels so you know I could um, horses that weren't going to be quite enough for him I could show and so I had a lot of opportunities to show great horses and uh, one of my first futurity horses um was one that well my first futurity horse was one that uh casey deary had that he sent for me to show because i was level one um i got horses from jason van landingham and other guys that you know it's top trainers in the world and you're getting to show these things that they've trained so you get a little bit spoiled i feel like in north texas because there's a lot of opportunity to show great horses so up here it's different because you don't you know you don't get those catch rides Mm -hmm. so you've got to i feel like you've got to create your own opportunity a little bit more so it's you know it's taken us a couple of years to really get to where we're at with our business and have a really solid non-pro base and have some not have some open horses and things like that but i do feel like it's more of a more of a non-pro base Mm -hmm. probably than north texas um and it can be a little bit more challenging just to stay just to stay ahead of the curve so to speak Right. Um, you know, I've got a good friend of mine down the road, Adam Hendrickson. We've worked together before and he's a really great trainer. So he's helped me a ton and he and I ride together 
probably every week. He either comes here or I go there and we ride together because we just we found that that's pretty necessary just to keep pushing each other. Because uh, right. otherwise, if you're just riding around and looking at the mountains and thinking about how great life is, and then you go to a horse <laughs> show, you're like, oh crap, I'm going too slow. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to have, you've got to keep the perspective of, you know, everybody else is, everybody's hustling, they're pushing, they're working hard. Um, so you've got to, you've got to be very self-motivated to do that because if you weren't, you know, if you weren't the self-starter, so to speak, or self-motivated, it would be easy to just get distracted by living in Colorado and not, not continue to push yourself and grow and learn. Yeah. And it, there's gotta be something too about keeping your name out there too. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, kind of fading to the back because you're not right there in right. front of everybody's faces. Um, yeah. you definitely kept your name out there in December at the fraternity by making, you know, the open finals and all that. Yeah. That sure helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a great experience. So, um, tell me about like, some a horse that you've had or had connections to that maybe was a big turning point in your career and and changed something for you or changed your, changed your perspective maybe or or just um, your trajectory of your career. So I I was thinking about this because I've like I said earlier I've had the opportunity to show some really great horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I got to show. Stepping on Sparks when I worked at Jordan's and I made the level three finals on him at the NRBC and then showed him at the Derby and made the finals there as well. Um, I showed a mare named She's a Smart Wimpy that that was, that was my first open finalist at a major event. So I made the open finals at the Derby on her. Um, you know, so I've, I've had the opportunity to show some really great horses that were very talented and very well trained, but uh, I was thinking about that because I was like, all right, was there a horse that really changed the trajectory in my career? And I, I can honestly say, I don't think looking back, there's a horse where it's like, I made this finals and then it was like, all right, I've arrived. I'm there. You know, business is good. I'm cooking. Yeah. Everything's hot. Um, I think that something that I learned through showing some of these really nice horses was that one, like customers want to see consistency. So making the finals once isn't going to make you or break you. Um, I think the important thing is to be consistent and whatever you're showing, you know, that you're, you're doing the absolute best that you can on that horse. Cause part of what I struggled with was after showing some of those really nice horses, like all I wanted to do was make the finals. And then I would go somewhere and maybe I'd be on a horse that wasn't quite as talented as those, but I'd try to ride them like they were a 74 horse. And then you end up with 70 cause you're just trying to overdo it. Um, but I, you know, I kind of went through a, I feel like a funk a little bit training for a while. Cause he like said, when I was at Jordan's, you know, he's, he's an incredible showman. He and I got along great and he really shaped my career and training. I would say in a lot of ways, but I got to show great horses when I was there. One, one quite a bit. And I won enough to where it put me into just level four only when I was working for him. And that was the point where it was like, all right, it's time to start your business and move along. Um, and after that point, like it was, it was a struggle for several years yeah. of being level four only and then kind of realizing, okay, it's, you know, now, especially if I don't have the opportunity to show those horses that are coming from Jordan string or whatever, 
at that point, like I have to kind of make my own opportunities. And it, it took me a while because I, I went through a deal where I felt it's almost like I felt entitled, like I should, I should just have these nice horses. Right. Cause I had had some success and done well. I made the finals and won some titles. And I was like, all right, people just bring me nice horses. And then when they didn't show up, you know, <laughs> and you're not making the finals, it's frustrating. And for a while it was like, you know, I felt like I should have those opportunities or those opportunities should be given to me. And it took me a while to realize that. But at some point I, I hit a point where it was like, okay, I, you know, those, those opportunities aren't going to fall on my lap. Like those horses aren't going to fall on my lap. I've got to figure out how to get better and how to make those opportunities. And that, I think that shift happened for me a couple of years ago. And especially when I was up here, like I wasn't going and riding with people. I was kind of in my same routine and getting stuck in the same, you know, as a trainer, just the same stuff you do every day. But I went and that's when I started riding with Adam more. And that, that was really a, a shift for me. Um, Cause it, it went from having this mindset of almost being bitter that I didn't have, you know, the horses that these other guys had to show to, okay, I don't have them. Um, but you know, there's a reason for that. Those guys have been super consistent. You know, they, they have trained those horses, they've proven they can do it. And so I've got to do the same thing with whatever caliber horse I have. And so it just shifted my mindset of, um, you know, I need to do the, I need to figure out how to get better. I need to do the best job I can on the horses I have and just build from what I have. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that paid off in a lot of ways. Cause like I, with that, with the Mary made the open finals on last year, you know, when we got her, we bought her at the futurity sale and she had been hurt as a two-year-old and missed a bunch of time. So it was really a gamble, but we loved that her mom is Miss Silvergun. We love that mare. We love what she produced. And she was in the marketplace sale and Amy's actually the one that found her. And so it was a roll of the dice. And when we, when we got her, I wasn't even really planning on showing her, but as the year went on, she just kept stepping up and kept doing better. And but my mindset that whole year was I just, I need to be a better horse trainer. I need to do a better job and not, you know, not feel entitled to have some great futurity horse or whatever. And so I feel like having that mindset shift really helped me do a better job on her because right. I was getting help and riding with other guys and trying to be a better trainer um, and just consistent and showing. And then it paid off. So I, all that to say, I don't know that I could look back and say like this horse made my career. Um, I think they were, I had some great horses that taught me a lot, mm -hmm. but a lot of what they taught me was that, you know, I needed to be better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing though. I mean, there's, it takes a different kind of mindset to really accept that Yeah. and, and be like, this isn't going to be as easy as it was maybe before. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's really, um, uh, says a lot about you and growth, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm kind of thick headed. It took me a couple of years. <laughs> it would have been easier. I feel like if I'd have learned that sooner, but you know, you, you sit there and it's like, I started out with, um, you know, I started out in a similar stage, I guess, as a lot of guys. Like I remember I was an assistant when, you know, like Trevor Dare and, right. you know, Jimmy Vanderhoven, they were working for Casey Hen at the time. So I was assistants at the same time with all of these guys and I kind of had some success, but then they were building and they just kept going, but it's because they were putting in the work and they were just great horse trainers. 
So it, it took me a couple of years to kind of piece together. Okay. It's not because they've been given some opportunity that I haven't been given. Like they've just made the most on every horse and they've figured out how to, how to be consistent and how to be good. Right. So that's been, you know, that's been my motivation, I guess the last couple of years is just watching other guys that are really successful and, and just recognizing that I just, I need to get better. So, um, in, in these realizations that you've made about yourself and, you know, to, to get your career where it is today, what horsemen or horsewomen do you kind of look up to, admire, who've influenced you the most? So when I was, I think about that, I, I guess I think about two, two different groups, so to speak. So I think there's the, you know, if you want to call it the generation that's kind of gone before us, Mm -hmm. I, I think about guys like, um, Bob Avila, Todd Bergen, Andrea Fapani. You know, you look at Andrea Fapani's horses, and when he goes to a horse show, it doesn't matter what horse he's on. They they are so broke and consistent that you can tell he just he just puts in the time to get them really well trained. Right. And they don't look, you know, they don't look intimidated. They look like they know what their job is and know how to do it, and they just go perform. So they look the same in the show pen and out of the show pen. And so I, for me, as a younger guy, I think looking at him, he's kind of the standard, really, of what what these reining horses should look like and what a broke reiner should look like. And I think he takes, you know, and it's not just how he trains them; like he just takes excellent care of his horses. Yeah. They look, you know, they're healthy and happy and have good weight, good hair coats. Everything's very, very high quality. So I think. In that generation, you look at it and think, okay, that's a standard. Like, that's my goal of what I need to work towards. Um, and then the the other side of the coin, I would say, is with kind of the younger generation. You know, it's, it's interesting because when – I feel like when I was an assistant, there were, there were lots of guys that were assistants. There were lots of guys working hard and that knew, like, when you come into this business, it's going to be years of really hard work uh, just to – to be an apprentice and to build it up and to get where you want to be. But, you know, I know other guys have discussed this, but I feel like there's been kind of a generational shift in general with, you know, more of my, my generation, I would say like the 30 somethings and younger where I don't, people in general, it doesn't feel like want to work as hard (laughs) again. And it kind of comes back to that entitled mentality that they want, you know, they want the, they want the result, but they don't want to put the work in to get there. Um, so with the younger generation, I think I have a lot of respect for guys that you look at them and you can tell they just, they work hard every day. They don't complain. They put in the effort. They have built their own opportunities. And so, you know, I think about guys like, um, you know, Trevor Dare, Jimmy Vanderhoven, um, you know, Abby Lingle, Jordan McBurney are two uh, women that I think of that like you kind of the same deal as Andrea, you look at them and their, their horses are broke. They're consistent. They're well-trained. You can tell they're well cared for. They've got great weight on them. Their hair coats look great. You know, they're, they're polished and ready to go. When they come to a horse show, they're ready to roll. And you know that you're going to have to step up your game and (laughs) run fast and look pretty to beat them. So uh, so I would say that's kind of a group with similar traits that I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for. Right. And I think that's something that honestly, I mean, your, your owners and your non-pros are going to look for too, right? When absolutely. They're, when they're choosing who they go with. Yep. Absolutely. 
Yeah, because it's not enough if, to just go win if your horses are, you know, pissed off all the time and skinny and don't look healthy. And because in the end, most and I mean, I here especially, it's like my customer base. They're they they love their horses. This mm-hmm. is a hobby for them. It's a fun thing. They love horses, so they want they want their horses to be cared for first and for, foremost. Um, you know, Cole Price is another one. We were talking last weekend and. Um, it's, it's a tough business because we, you know, you have to really stay on top of your margins to make any kind of a living, but you can't sacrifice the care of your horses to make more profit. So there's areas where you have to really stay on top of your margins, but the care of your horses can't be one. Like Cole was, we were talking about that and, um, you know, he's another one that his horses always look great. They're well-fed, they're well-groomed they're broke, they're happy, they're ready to go show. Um, and that's one thing that he said is that that's one area that he absolutely refuses to skip on or to reduce costs to try to make more money is the care of the horses. And so, and I agree with that hundred percent. So we, you know, we feed the top quality alfalfa, we treat, feed Neutrina feed, we feed platinum performance to, to everybody. Um, so everybody is getting, you know, horses are getting the best care that they can. And that's, I I think that's the baseline for somebody to be a horseman is not going and winning a horse show. It's knowing how to take good care of your horses. What's one mistake maybe that you've learned from in your past? And we've talked a little bit about your mindset, but, um, maybe you hear sometimes that trainers feel like sometimes they, you know, pushed a horse too far, too fast or, and that made them rethink everything. Um, do you have an experience like that in your career? Yeah, I would say like, you know, trying too hard to win. Right. Um, is it's easy to, I'm, I'm very competitive. So it's, it's like, once you win, all you want to do is win. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to go out, especially if you've got a horse that you know can do it rather than focusing on, you know, making the horse the absolute best that it can be. And like I was saying with my non-pros, if I just listened to everything that I told them, I'd be in a lot better shape. But, you know, when you go in and think about, okay, I'm going to show each maneuver the absolute best that I can. Not go and try and win the horse show, but I'm going to go show each maneuver the best that I can. And if I do that, then I let the chips fall where they may. Right. So then if you, you know, if you go and you know you had the best pattern that you could possibly do, everything you did was on par. Um, or right where it needed to be, then if you win, it's great. If you don't, you're still happy with what you did because you know, you know, you did everything that you could do and it, and it makes it to where you're not, you know, you're not like jealous or bitter at somebody else if they beat you, because you know what you did, what you did, what you can do. And if they went and beat you, then they, they had the better horse and the better run that day. And that's okay. But early on, you know, when I had some success, all I wanted to do was win so I was just going in the pen every time trying to win. And I was overshowing, you know, overdoing it with my horses. And when you do that, you end up getting less out of them rather than if you, you know, we need to push them to find their potential. But when you find that potential, you have to be able to step back and recognize what that horse can do and really try to maximize that and show them for what they can do, not for what you wish they were (laughs) that really helps with the horse's longevity too then if you know if you're doing that with your fraternity horses and then you take them on through their age to vet years yeah it it saves them absolutely absolutely yeah definitely um so if if you weren't a horse trainer 
or a veterinarian, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think you, what career path, what, what different path would your life have taken? Do you think? Yeah, that's a tough one. Cause I, I don't know. I, I really enjoy the business side of this business. So yeah, I, I love training. I love being outside, but I, I enjoy the business side as well. And, you know, going like keeping my books on track and managing employees and doing all of that. So I could see myself in several different kinds of business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have learned that I don't make a great employee. So <laughs> <laughs> you'd be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My dad owns his own business and he and I are like, I were very, very similar, but he told me at one point, and it was before I really realized it. He was like, he said, at some point you're going to recognize that like you and I, we just don't make good employees. Like you need to do your own thing and you'll figure that out. And I have definitely recognized that because I just, I like to make my own decisions. I like mm-hmm. to have control over things. So I felt like I kept it get together long enough to be an assistant. But after that, I just, I couldn't. I would not be the kind of guy that could go, you know, work for an owner for the rest of my life or work right. for a trainer. I, it's just not in my personality. So I would definitely need to run my own thing. So I could see myself running some other kind of business, but, um, but it would have to be something that would challenge me and push me. And, um, you know, I don't know if I would be quite as obsessed with it as the horse training. Cause part of it's just, I, I love the, yeah, I love horses. I love being outside. So it's that combination works really well because in Colorado, thankfully, we're outside most of the year riding. Yeah. So that's a huge benefit. But I would say probably I'd have my own business and run something like that. And it's interesting that you said that, I mean, you're obviously doing the training here and you coach your non-pros, but you're also running the business side of it. That's That's yeah. a lot to take on, it seems like. Like a lot of times you'll find that somebody has someone else handling their books or, you know, that kind of thing. But right. it's, it's interesting that you're very involved in every aspect of it. Yeah. I, yeah. And a lot of it, when we were, when Amy and I were younger, when we just started out, she was working with me and helping me with a lot of it, but, uh, she's too expensive for me. So <laughs> <laughs> she's a realtor. She does that full time. So we yeah. both have our own businesses and, um, and she helps me a lot. Like any, I mean, she's, if we're, if I'm out there working and she's not working, she's out there with me and owning our own place. Now it's a lot more work. So it's the training right. business and then it's everything on top of it. So she's on the mower. She's, you know, helping me move hay or feed horses or clean stalls on the weekends. So I couldn't do it without, you know, a wife that works as hard as she does. She's, she's a crusher, but, um, but yeah, for me, I just, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy the business side of it. And I know Amy, I mean, she has so much on her plate as well. And it is funny because we'll get customers that like walk up to Amy and be like, here's the check for this month and here's this. And she'll be like, all right, I'll give that to Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> or they'll they'll ask something about a bill and she's like, I have no idea. Can I ask her? Yeah. So we, we definitely work together and she helps me with a lot, but she's, you know, she's got her full-time deal. Well, it seems like you guys together here in, in Colorado, you guys are, you live a very Colorado lifestyle. Like mm-hmm. you, you climb, right. And mm-hmm. trail run and that kind of thing. And, yep. um, are outdoorsy. And she told me you guys just bought a camper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody laughed at it. Cause it's like the tiniest camper you've ever seen, but for us it's perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do you balance those kinds of interests and passions with 
a business that really does take over your life. Yeah, it is tough because we, you know, owning our own place now, we can't just walk away and shut off the lights at the end of the day or, you know, if we're, it's hard for us to get even a couple of days off on a weekend and, and we love it. I love being here. We love having our own place and running it. But um, something we've kind of tried to do is if we can, even if it's once a month or every other month, just take a Monday off because it's easier for her as well. And, you know, we'll take off on Sunday, we'll be here coaching on Saturday and doing that and have just have a Sunday and Monday together to go go into the mountains, do something, just get away from the ranch for a couple of days. And thankfully, I've got great employees that, um, you know, I, I trust and take care of everything. But but we don't get a lot of time. You know, people ask me about that when we go to horse shows or whatever. It's like, man, it seems like y'all climb all the time. But we really don't. The nice thing is we've got, you know, we're 30, 40 minutes from great climbing areas. And, you know, we're right in the foothills. So I can go out and drive 15 minutes and be running in the mountains. So it's it's easy to get done, even if we get done at 6 o'clock or whatever. You know, this time of year, it's light till almost 9. So right. it just makes for late nights. I don't think... If Amy and I eat dinner before nine o'clock, it's an early night, but it's just because that's kind of, that's kind of how we do it, I guess. But so we don't, it's not like we have a ton of spare time, but whatever spare time we do have, we just try to make the most out of. And we've got the mountains close by and we, we love to be outside. We didn't start climbing until we moved here. I was afraid of heights and Amy decided it would be a good idea to take up rock climbing. (laughs) So, oh, man. yeah, she, if I ever disappear, I'm kind of suspicious. <laughs> Just look into it because I'm also terrified of sharks. And we went on a vacation a couple of years ago. It was like first big vacation we've ever done. But we went to Hawaii for our anniversary. And, of course, she wants to go paddle boarding and surfing. And I was, I was convinced the whole time I was going to get eaten. It's like, this is how I go. But I can't tell her I'm scared. So <laughs> here we go. So she likes to find the the few things that I'm scared of and be like, yeah, let's take up rock climbing. Oh, you're terrified of heights. Okay, it'll be fine. She's challenging you and yeah, making you a better person. Yeah, just pushing me. <laughs> but, but for me, that even though we don't have a ton of time to do it, like I, like if I if we take a day off, for me, it's not restful to sit inside and watch football. Like I right. get anxious doing that. I I don't clear my head well that way. You know, I get. I get more anxious, I feel like. So for me, I need to, and again, because I'm I'm also competitive, probably more so with myself than anything. So I like to do things that really push me mentally and physically. And that's, you know, that's where the rock climbing and trail running came in. Um, but for me, it's, it's a big stress relief. Because um, I'm also, I, naturally, I'm a pretty introverted person. Like mm-hmm. I, I could be by myself 98% of the time and be perfectly fine. But as a non-pro coach, that doesn't work because <laughs> you're around a lot of people. And I love coaching, but at some point I just run out of words and mental capacity to talk to people and I just need to get off by myself. And so that's part of what trail running's done for me because I just, I'll go out in the mountains and, you know, it might be an hour, it might be five hours and just go somewhere by myself. And, you know, when I do that, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to podcasts. I just enjoy being outside and um it gives me kind of a a way to clear my head and i'll think through things and process things and get rid of stress and i come back and i feel like doing that i feel like i can be more patient 
So I feel like it makes me a better trainer. It makes me a better boss, makes me a better husband because I've got an outlet to get rid of that stress and um, come back patient and ready to go. Well, and in this time when, when we were all stuck at home, it probably helped you from getting into your young horses too much and over, overdoing them. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Me and Adam were talking about that. We said our, I feel like our two year olds are looking at us like we've, we heard y'all are supposed to go away about this time (laughs) of the year. Like you need to go somewhere because it is, you, you hit a point where they just, they need a little break. Like they're working hard and they're doing their jobs and kind of know the drill at this point. And they start needing a little break. So it, it does me give me a way to be, competitive or push myself in in another outlet other than just the training yeah because for me i just you know i love horse training but i think if if it's the only thing that you ever think about i think it's hard to keep perspective on things so it's helpful for me to kind of step away and come back to it so a day off for me i might be physically exhausted at the end of it but then i'm mentally fresh and ready to go yeah that's great um what are your pet peeves around the barn? Uh, I'm a pretty organized person. So one of the big ones is hanging up bridles. Right. Good grief. <laughs> like I've got, and I think this is probably shared with just about every horse trainer is I've got like an order that my bridles hang in right, and yeah. a way that they hang. And somebody will come in and take one off of a certain spot and put it back completely different. And I swear sometimes they try to hang them up differently to just see if they can get out of my skin. <laughs> so that that's a big one. You know, another one for me is I, you know, I, I don't like it if I've got somebody that rides with me that doesn't uh doesn't see taking care of their horse as a priority. Right. So whether that's an employee or or a customer, like I you know, I, I want my customers to think about being horsemen and women and not just riders. So I want them to take care of their horses when they're out and um, not just expect to show up and have a saddled horse and hop on, hop off and go on about their day. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, these horses do a lot for us and I want them to think about what goes into the care of them. And so with my employees, especially like if they, I feel like the baseline for the people that work for me is you need to be really good at just taking care of the horses and the riding comes out of that. Mm -hmm. But, but that's a pet peeve I would say is when somebody is not like when the care of their horse is not a priority. Right. When you've talked quite a bit about the care of the horses, you know, in the people that you admire, um, in the way that you conduct your own business. And, and that really is kind of the core of this idea that NRHA is, is, promoting um of respect the horse respect the sport Mm -hmm. and um it sounds like that's something that you think about every day in your business yeah Yeah, so i you know i think it ties back into what the one of the first questions you asked me about what quality do i really love in a horse and i think that grit and heart because for the most part if if these horses like if they understand what we're asking them to do and they can physically do it they're going to try to do it like there's some that are just not good minded and they need to just go down the road and do something else. But the way so many of these rainers are bred now, like they're bred to do it. So they've got the capacity to do it. We just need to make it really clear what we expect of them and make that the easiest thing for them to do. So I feel like when a horse has that heart and has that try and they're giving you everything that they can do, like if you, if you respect them in that and you, appreciate that in them they're going to go perform for you but i think sometimes if we put unrealistic expectations on them or 
if we see them as um you know a commodity and not like a living breathing animal that um you know has has a i don't i don't know how to say this but like a living breathing animal that we need to respect and appreciate mm-hmm. that if we see them that way and we uh treat them that way like they're going to go do their jobs they're going to work hard they're going to want to go perform but i think it's the same with people and with horses like if all you ever do is beat them down and you know tell them they're not doing it right like eventually they're going to quit and they're just going to give up and and they'll tell on you when it's you know when push comes to shove they'll tell on you so i try to think about that with my customers and with my horses that the baseline should be respect and that they you know my customers are out here you know most of them they're not in this because they like you know most of them aren't obviously they're not trainers like they've they've had other careers that because this isn't a cheap sport it's not a cheap hobby so they've built careers that they've been very successful in that's allowed them to come into this arena um and i think as trainers sometimes we look at somebody that can't ride as well and be like oh you know why do they do that why do they do this well they're they're probably pretty brilliant or have been very successful in some of their areas. So our baseline as a coach needs to be respect and not talking down to people. And I feel like it's the same with horses. The baseline needs to be respect and not talking down to them. So, uh, you know, when, when you treat people that way, they'll perform. And when you treat horses that way, they'll perform. And it just makes everybody happier at the end of the day. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Ryan. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. And, Absolutely. Um, good luck with heading back to the show pen now and, and getting back out there and seeing what these horses can do. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit nrha.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining. NRHA.